Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. This is episode two of season two. We're back to normal. I hope you're all well and business is good for you. It's gone all cold up here again in the loft. I mean, proper chilly. So if at some point in this episode I go all quiet, it's either because I've gone to get a jumper or me and the rest of the research team are being hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. Sorry, I've been watching a lot of Netflix. This week we are back to normal in that we've got two great guests. First up, with local and regional lockdowns starting to bite across different areas of the country, we have the return of Damien Walters from the BIKBBI to tell us about the latest guidance for installers going into people's homes. And then we take a look into the mysterious art of product development and design and what influence the coronavirus experience may have there in the future. It's a fascinating topic and I'll be discussing it with Geberit Group Industrial Designer Ian Randall. But first... The Taylor's Media Shameless Plug is back. Don't pull that face. I know you've all missed it, really. And I'm kicking off the first of the new season by asking you to subscribe to us via a podcast app. If you're listening to this because you clicked on a link and it's playing in your browser, then subscribing means you get all the latest episodes as soon as they come out, as well as access to all the previous ones. By far the most popular app is Apple Podcasts, but there is a Google Podcast too, of course. And if you have a subscription to Spotify or Amazon Music, then you can find us there as well. Simply search KBB Review, all one word. And if you've been enjoying this podcast, please rate us and leave us a nice review as it really encourages other people to give us a go and my mum loves reading them. Now, given the current level of demand being reported across the KVB industry, it would be easy to think that the worst of the coronavirus impact was behind us. But of course, the reality is that there are local lockdowns happening across the UK and there are more and more restrictions being reintroduced on an almost daily basis. But with so many projects in the pipeline... What does this mean for installers going into customers' homes? So, who better to call upon than friend of the show, Damien Walters, the CEO of the British Institute of Kitchen, Bedroom and Bathroom Installation. Welcome back, Damien. Hey, thanks, Andy. Very, very pleased to be back. This is old school. You are on the phone. You are out and about. Tell people where you are, Damien. This is absolutely old school. Uh, I've gone for a bit of traditional Starbucks this morning, Andy. I, I felt that I needed some caffeine in the system. Don't we all, mate? Don't we all? Now, as we speak, it's the morning of Thursday, October the 8th. There are new measures being introduced seemingly all the time, which is why I've, done, I've told people when we're actually recording this, because it could all change tomorrow, couldn't it? Let's start with a general question here. Are you seeing confusion and uncertainty coming from your members about exactly what the rules are, wherever they are? I think there's confusion and uncertainty amongst the entire population <laughs> about all things lockdown and what we can and what we can't do. I guess I can understand how it is confusing for many, but we've been fairly clear and consistent throughout our advice and guidance to members. The fact that we've been regularly talking to the industry about it really has, I think, helped clearing a lot of this up in people's mind. But the reality is that it is a very confusing situation, not not just home improvement, but life at the moment, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, let's go into some detail here. Let's start with, I think, your current guidelines for areas that are not under further restrictions. So the blanket rules, if you like, for normal in, uh, normal areas. The rule of six applies. So what does this mean for tradespeople, installers going into people's homes? Workplaces, which home improvement projects are, uh, your home, if you're having tradespeople into your home, you turn your home into a workplace. So the rule of six doesn't actually apply. Um, so that, that's the first thing to understand. The second thing is really is understanding the difference between lockdown and not lockdown. 
And there aren't actually many differences with, with those two scenarios, but not even in terms of regionally as well. Sadly, the government have been fairly vague, or should I say governments have been fairly vague in terms of what people can and can't do. But I must admit, I, I do sympathise with the government in relation to the sheer scale of this challenge. I think there's so much that needs to be addressed and so much that needs to be fixed. It's clear that, that, that there's not going to be crystal clarity across all areas in all situations. However, the devolved government is perhaps the most frustrating element for me. And, and if I was to be critical of anything, it would be that there's a real lack of cohesion between these governments in the production of a single message because... I think if there were a single message, I think we'd all be a little bit happier, perhaps, or certainly a lot clearer. The salient points for me around home improvement, Andy, are really quite simple. So first and foremost, no government, so no matter where they are in the country, has said it's illegal to work in other people's homes. So they've never said that. So they've never said you can't go into other people's homes at any point. The only exception to that is if obviously there's an isolation situation going. So putting lockdown to one side. If anybody is isolating, then then isolation does mean isolation. So do stay away. That has been a consistent throughout. But local lockdowns may also restrict or forbid the, the movement of people. So crossing county lines and going from one constituency to another may be breaking rules in terms of movement. So that should always be something that's considered before stepping into people's homes. It's where do you live and what are the local rules? And the local authorities are actually the ones that are managing these lockdowns in terms of enforcement and communication. So if anybody is in doubt as to what the local restrictions are, you can actually find out on the uk.gov website. But you can find out via the local authority as well. And that's just a case of you know finding a local council. All guidance for us, it's been the same throughout, Andy. All guidance requires the application of common sense. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I, think for, I, I think it'd be great if more people used it generally as opposed to fairly aching about what people can and can't do. The application of common sense should, should always be the starting point. And that's been simplified in terms of what the government are saying. So keeping a distance, personal sanitisation, and of course, wearing PPE, it's obvious, isn't it? If coronavirus was a fire, you wouldn't stand too near to it. And the further away from it you are, the safer you're likely to be. So this is no different, really. Just keep your distance from people and, and, and wash your hands. It's not too difficult. Having a look at the governments and what the governments are now saying then, there is some common themes amongst what all governments say. And, and, and there are variations to governments in, de- in certain situations, which do tend to change minute by minute. So it is always worth going on to either Bixby's site or government, the .gov website, and checking this out for yourself. But I will warn you, there are literally pages and pages and pages of information that you could be forgiven for being baffled by because we spend our life looking at this information and it baffles us. If there isn't a local restriction, so for example, I'm here in London and there's no local restrictions here at the moment, your home uh, technically qualifies as a workplace and therefore normal workplace rules apply. So the rules of six, all that kind of thing, don't apply to guys coming into your home to fit in your kitchen. Yeah. Right. And then apply a level of common sense about don't go up and shake them by the hand or lick their face or something while they're in your house. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's some simple things to do before that, really. I, I think we've always maintained the point around symptoms, really, and that should always be a starting point for 
any decision making, whether whether that's sort of going to work or whether that's going to work in somebody else's home or even allowing people to come and work in your home. If, of course, symptoms are present, you know, for either party, whether that's the installer, the customer or somebody that's close by, a family member or somebody in the home, then it's really, really important that isolation is adhered to in accordance with government guidelines, which is this 14 days subject to testing, of course, if you can get a test. But you shouldn't start or continue a project in that instance. And, and, and of course, if you're concerned about your health, then 111 or 999, dependent on the, the severity of it. But the symptoms should always be the starting point, Andy. And if, there, if there's anything present, then you shouldn't move. So your recommendation is still to double-check with the homeowner before you cross the threshold? Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's not just at the beginning of the project either, actually, Andy. It's every single day. So the, the original advice was, we set out a protocol really for installers to follow, which is still available on the website. Do go and have a little look at it. But the protocol really is before you set off in the morning, A, ask yourself your question around symptoms, but B, pick the phone up to your customer and ask them the question whether there's been any symptoms as well. So, And that's a daily thing that should be carried out every single time you cross that threshold or even consider crossing that threshold. Okay, so let's then step across the border, if you like, into those areas <laughs> that do have further restrictions in them, much the northwest, the northeast, uh, and as of yesterday, some of the most populous areas of Scotland. So yeah. you know, in those areas, you know, you can't mix households, you can't go and visit your friends. Can you still have installers in your home? There, well, there is no guidance to say or law to say that you can't carry on work. Got, the guidance for all governments are if you can work from home, work from home, which obviously suggests if you can't, which kitchen and bathroom installers can't, then it is okay as long as you take certain steps. One of the key things that all governments are saying really is the adoption of risk assessment. And risk assessment is not just about saying what part of the country are we in or what are we doing is looking at specific individual instances and jobs and projects and basically assessing the risks based on the individual merit so what all governments are saying is that in every instance a risk assessment should be carried out for each job that must be undertaken regardless of the size of the project now there is some miscommunication around the actual production of risk assessment some are saying that they need to be printed. Some are saying that they just need to be in your head, dependent on the size of your business. Well, uh, if I'm in front of court being uh, hauled over the coals through some sort of health and safety issue, what I'm going to want to have is some written evidence of what I've done. So for me, whilst there's no requirement if you're not employing over five people to produce a risk assessment, our advice is to produce a risk assessment and make sure that that's a written one at that. And that could be as simple as the uh, printing of the guidance that we provide on our website for members and ensuring that's the hand. And that, that's just a process of you understanding what the risks are. But the, the absolute best way to do it is to use the templated risk assessments that the government, that all governments actually have produced for their website. And they are specific to working in other people's homes. They're not particularly uh, long-winded. It will take you a few minutes to do. In most instances, those risk assessments can be used again and again and again, but they should be reviewed for each project. So if there are any variances, should be incorporated within that specific project. So suppose the issue here is, is it throws up one of these 
unavoidable uh, contradictions, doesn't it? So, for example, my family live on Merseyside, obviously, and at the moment, my Uncle David can't go around to see my mum and dad, right? Yeah. But he could go around if he was going to fit a bathroom for them. <laughs> He'll have to be a member of the Institute yeah. first, though, remember. <laughs> <laughs> this is all about the wheels of economy and the balance between the health of the nation, both from a physical perspective, mental perspective, and also, of course, from an economic one as well. So arguably the world shutting down until coronavirus did one uh, would be the absolute best option for everybody don't go out everybody gets netflix and enjoy enjoy each other's company for a year that would be absolutely lovely and, and we would hope that we would uh, you know uh, find a vaccine and deal with this problem in the meantime but the reality is that in that instance obviously the economy would collapse there would be calamity around that situation so what the government are saying is, is, look, while staying at home is absolutely the best policy, we do know that economy needs to continue. And that's why I guess they are allowing certain businesses to trade as long as they meet certain standards. I, I get people's frustration. I really do understand how people are confused by it. But let's go back to that original thing, the application of common sense. Yes, I want to go see my nan and give her a big cuddle. I'm sure we all do. But... The reality is, is that we shouldn't, for good reason, and, and the only reason why other people can perhaps come into your home is because the wheels of economy do need to keep turning. It's important for all of us. There's a lot of talk about bubbles, you know, everyone's in a bubble. Is there a guideline for teams of installers working together? No, impos- impossible, you know, unless they were gangs of people that were working together and staying together. W- what the government are saying is, is try to reduce, and, and our advice mirrors that, of course, reduce the number of people on site at any given time and follow the guidelines that are set out around symptoms. So it's impossible to create a bubble in, in such a situation that we operate in. But again, the application of common sense in terms of reducing the amount of people on site at any given time, staggering trades coming into the home, making sure that cleanliness is top of the agenda throughout the entire project and, and keeping your social distance where possible, wearing masks where not, are the things that people should be thinking about. So sadly, bubble's not ideal or, or practical really in this, in this industry. We're in such an odd situation here. Of course, no one knows what's happening. I mean, f- for me, this has been going on so long now that as of last week, I finished Netflix. Uh, <laughs> the, the whole point of that is, if I walk down our road, you know, every other house has got a skip outside. Every other house has got some scaffolding or some ladders outside. There's work going on all over the place. There's people talking about how busy the demand is. They're booking jobs into the new year because there's such a backlog of jobs. Do customers care? Once you're in their house and once you've got your slot to get your new kitchen fitted, once these installers are over the threshold, do the punters actually care? Well, I'd be very sweeting for me to say that either they all do or they all don't. There's going to be a mixture of all sorts in there, isn't there? But the one thing that I do know in all of this is that I think if we follow common sense and we apply the rules associated with home improvements and working in other people's homes, and, and I do believe, Andy, that the professional should lead that piece. It shouldn't be for the consumer to, to enforce these measures. It should be for the professional. That's essentially why they are a professional. But I, I, you know, I genuinely do believe that if we follow the rules, we, we will be, we'll reduce the risk as much as we possibly can and be okay. But the reality is, is that there are some people out there that don't care. And it's this complacency, sadly, that will actually cost lives. It's not a difficult uh, equation that we've got at the moment. Whether you believe in coronavirus and the severity of it or whether you're a conspiracy theorist or whatever, 
I think if somebody's got a cold, whether it's coronavirus or not, just keep away from them, you know, wash your hands and make sure that you're not too near to it. It's, it's not it's not a difficult uh, equation, really. And I guess the professional, in my opinion, is the one that needs to lead that piece. And the advice and guidance that's been provided by both government and ourselves is, is fairly clear on that. And I think you're right. I think the onus is on the professional here. But look, it's ever-shifting sands, this, isn't it? As I say, we're recording this on Thursday. By the time people hear this on Monday, it might be completely different again. So look, <laughs> yeah. where, where is the best place for people to access the most up-to-date information and guidelines? Well, I, I would say the BIKBBI website, but the reality is, is every time the government makes a change, they update their own website first. So the .gov website is a good starting point, wherever you are in the country, by the way. So it doesn't matter whether you're in Scotland, it doesn't matter whether you're in Northern Ireland or Wales, the .gov website is a good starting point. And, and what they will do on your journey, on your digital journey online, is that they will direct you to the right regional advice. It is something you should change, that you should check regularly. I wouldn't say you wake up and check it every morning, but I would certainly say that you should be keeping a close eye on the advice and guidance. And anything big that comes out, we'll be sure to be reporting that and sharing that with the industry's media to spread that message as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think at a, at a time when most people are trying to make hay while the sun shines and try and make up for lost ground with by cashing in on the demand that's happening, they still can't let these kind of standards slip. No, do, do, do you know what? One of the biggest problems that you've got, and it, listen, we're all we're all the same. If the police didn't exist, probably more people would be speeding because it's just you know the way that we are as humans. You know, unless it affects us or the consequences affects us, we're just going to probably forget about it fairly quickly. And I think the same can be said about coronavirus. So, all right, there's a, there's a lot of talk of it, but there's, you know there are a lot of people that haven't been affected by it terms of personally but we shouldn't let that bamboozle us really we should be mindful that this is a thing it is out there it is causing fatality okay it is causing fatalities predominantly amongst certain people and groups of people but that doesn't mean to say that we're immune to it and those around us are either so complacency and, and trying to avoid complacency is going to be absolutely critical especially as we move into these winter months ahead well, look, Damien, thank you so much. As I say, the pitch is always changing, so I'll, I'll dig out some links and put them up in the episode description, uh, as always. Now, you are a friend of the show, and I think you visited the deserted Kitchen Island Discs a couple of times in Season 1. But as people hopefully will now know, in Season 2, we've slightly changed it up, and we've gone from your most feel-good, upbeat song. We're going to now ask you for your most upbeat, feel-good film in the feature I'm calling The Silence of the Laminates. <laughs> so, Damien, what is your what is at the end of your remote control? Well, there's a, there's a number of films out there that absolutely hit the button for me, but the one that's probably uh, the most relevant for me right now has definitely got to be Gladiator. It's really simple for me. One of the lines in Gladiator, which I absolutely love, is about is when the gladiators actually stuck in the Colosseum and they don't know what's behind that gate and they're absolutely shaking at their knees, but. The one thing Maximus turned around and said was, if we stick together, whatever comes out of those gates will be better and stronger together. And and, and I know that sounds a bit cheesy, but I do love my Netflix, and I must have watched Gladiator probably 50 times in lockdown. <laughs> and that, that's a scene that really resonates with me. Stick together. Don't be fractious. Let's work together on this resolution. And you know what? We will absolutely 100% now with this, and we will get through this. Of course we will. That is a fantastic. That's one of my favourite scenes in that in that movie. Whatever comes out, whatever yeah. comes out of those gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. That's that's that. I remember that's oh. one of my favourite bits in it. Boom. Basically, what we're saying is, if Russell Crowe is in charge, we'd all be fine. 
absolutely. Albeit, I saw a picture of him the other day. I did a little bit of a Google, and he's put, he's put a bit of timber on the fellow. He doesn't yeah. look like the same gladiator he was. He's enjoying. <laughs> he's been enjoying lockdown, hasn't he? <laughs> well, look, Damien. As always, thank you so much for your time. You you enjoy your coffee. Uh, and we'll Thank catch you. Up, I'm sure we'll catch up again soon when it all changes again. You're an absolute star. Thanks a lot, Andy. Cheers, mate. That was Damien Walters from the BIKBBI. And as you heard in there, we recorded that on Thursday, but I'm doing this bit on Tuesday morning, October the 13th. So just to prove our point about how quickly things change, last night Boris Johnson announced the three-tier alert system in England. I'm sure you've read all about it. However, the BIKBBI interpretation of that system is that it doesn't affect their existing guidelines. So everything Damien and I discussed on Thursday that you've just listened to still applies today. Go to the episode description to find the link through to the latest advice. Now, we've talked a lot in previous episodes about the conceptual changes that might take place in people's homes and workplaces in a post-lockdown world. But these concepts have to become real. They have to become usable and sellable products. So uh, I'm delighted to welcome someone whose job it is to turn concept into realities. Geberit Group Industrial Designer, Ian Randall. Hello, Ian. Are you there? Hi, Andrew. Yes, yes, I'm here. Ah, good for you, sir. How is the, how is it where you are today? Where are you based? Well, I'm based in uh, Allsager in Cheshire, near Stoke-on-Trent. That's where our office is. Proper pottery country there. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Well, look, for those that might not know, give us the quick details in on Geberit, who they are and what they do. Geberit's a Swiss company. They were formerly mostly known for behind-the-wall products, you know, piping, the blue frame, blue wall frame for wall-hung product. And in 2015, they acquired Sanitech, which was very much a front-of-the-wall company. The idea was that they would be able to leverage that synergy so they had control of both behind the wall and in front of the wall and maybe would allow them to do some things that competitors couldn't. Yes, I mean, it is an enormous, great big conglomerate. It's a huge, great big global bathroom company, as you say, both in front of and behind the wall. So what is your role there? You're based there in Alsage. What do you actually do? What does a group industrial designer do? Uh, Yeah, it's as it says on the tin, really. So I'm designing new products, mostly, it's fair to say, in front of the wall products. So ceramic, sanitary wear, showering, shower enclosures, baths, shower trays, that kind of thing. Most people listening to this will sell product, they will specify product, they will distribute product, but you're the guys who actually sit with a pen and a piece of paper and design these products from scratch. Can you give us an idea of what the process of that is? Where do you start when it comes to new products? They can start in broadly two ways. One is a market requirement, so there's a gap in the offering or some existing series which needs to be updated or replaced. With the uh, Sanitech acquisition, there was a lot of rationalisation which took place, so where we maybe would have turned three different series into one. And then the second way which things can start is where we have a homegrown innovation, which we want to put into the marketplace and we need some vehicle for that. So an example is where we've moved more functionality behind the wall, things which used to be in front of the wall, moved more behind the wall. So that's a series which encompasses that. Another example more historically would be something like Rim Free, which was developed in-house at Twyford. And that became disruptive product. And now you'll find that most sanitary companies have a rim-free type WC in their offering. Where does that brief come from? Does it come from the market? Does it come from the shop floor? You know, the guys are out there selling it. Who comes to you and says, Ian, we need a new one of these? It wasn't me specifically, I should say that. It was my colleague, Scott Derbyshire. But it came from a marketing requirement. They, they, they didn't identify the solution, but they kind of identified the problem. In healthcare specifically, that we got this rim which uh, is harboring a lot of bacteria. There were some existing competitor products which claimed to be rim-free, but in fact weren't. 
And so they were, it was just an invisible rim and that was harboring bacteria and it was seen as a potential place for infection. Uh, it was very much a time of hospital-borne infections and they were looking at any every way possible to improve on that. But then this technology, obviously, because it was so much more hygienic, marketing guys and we all recognized that there was a huge potential for that in the domestic environment. People were going to want that easier to clean, less harboring of bacteria in their homes as well. So are you a pencil back of an envelope guy or do you start sat in front of some enormously powerful computer? How do you do it? Well, these days, it's more pencil on tablet, the initial first crystallization of ideas. So uh, sketching on, on a tablet and then very quickly moving on to CAD. I have some quite powerful software for that. And so very quickly we move from sketches into CAD and then we're able to produce photorealistic renderings of those so that we can see these new products as they would be in situ. And then we also have a massive facility for rapid prototyping in Yona, the headquarters in Switzerland. So very quickly we can see full-size 3D products that we can all stand around and decide which things we like about them and which things we don't. And do you look to other sectors for inspiration? Do you walk around the streets thinking, oh, look at that car, look at the way they've done the the wheel rims or something, I could use that? Are you constantly soaking in influence in that way? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably one of the best ways to innovate is to try to look outside of the industry that you're in, take innovative ideas wherever they may be, seeing something and imagining how you could apply it in the industry that you're in, even if it's something from outside. There's some industries which are quite closely related, like kitchens, where we see quite a lot of transference there. More broadly, like automotive and generally architecture or just things even in nature that you can see that you could potentially use. I have visions of you now, Ian, sat in a cafe with your wife just getting transfixed by a pen or something because you just love the way the top works or the button works. Yeah, it's not so very far from the truth. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sad to say. What about the wider trends that drive and inform your work? For example, sustainability is obviously an enormous trend. That must have to play an enormous part in every single design that you do these days. Gebrit, as a company, has quite a strong position on sustainability. So each new replacement product needs to be ecologically better than before. I think ceramics as a product is obviously very good from a sustainability point of view. It has a very long life, you know, tremendous hygiene properties. But in terms of the plastic side of the industry, I think all of our plastics are, again, they have a very long service life and we try to do more with less. I don't know if you know about the Gebrit piping system called SuperTube. I wasn't directly involved with that myself, but it's like a really genius product where you take away the soil stack because they've created a system where it it uses vortex technology so that the airflow is directed at the center of the pipe so that you can use one pipe instead of two. That in turn frees up a lot of space in terms of interior planning. The services in ducts need to be uh, a lot smaller and so you can free up a lot of space. Water use is a huge deal in terms of bathrooms and its environmental impact. I'm just wondering how far up the list of requirements that comes when you're given a brief to design things. It's quite high. I mean, if you can think of things like a WC, we're constantly chasing smaller flush volumes, but obviously still have to flush efficiently. So that in turn can have a an effect on, on how we engineer the product and in turn that how it can end up looking. We've got a lot of very powerful computer simulation software for hydraulics, fluid dynamics. And so we can constantly be tweaking how something looks and how that's going to affect the uh, fluid dynamics of it to get a more inf- efficient flush, for instance. 
and same things with wash basins we can simulate whether something might splash or not splash and that in turn can feed back into how it looks so it's kind of like a circular process where we're constantly reviewing and analyzing what we've done and seeing how we, how we can tweak things to make things better and obviously on the back of all that there is a huge amount of legislative rules and regulations around the bathroom do you see them as, a, as an interesting challenge or do you see them as something that hamstrings your ability to design fantastic things Uh, No, definitely not the latter. It's just an accepted thing that we have to conform to. It would be pointless to deny their existence, so we just take them. You know, it's just the constraints within which we work. There's an awful lot of standards that you have to hit, and when you're designing things, you must get to a point where you go, I wish I could just make that a little bit smaller or that a little bit bigger because it would work so much better, but you're just stuck with that standard size. Yeah, no, I mean, it does happen. It can it can be a frustration at times. You, you think, yeah, I've really, I've got something there that looks great. And then you think, oh, no, hold on, that doesn't <laughs> quite conform. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Let's delve into the current situation here, because uh, a lot of conversations about what the long-term effect of how the lockdown experience will influence how we live out day-to-day lives. What's your view on what, what it means for you and your work? Do you think there'll be huge changes in how products work or what products people are looking for or what specifications they need because of all what's happened in the last six months or so? My personal feeling is that we'll see an acceleration of some existing trends towards hygiene and wellness. So I think, for instance, we'll probably see things which we more likely see in the public arena. A lot of of sensor-activated devices, which typically are more in the public sector. I think we'll see those probably becoming more adopted in the domestic environment people becoming much more hygiene conscious and but as i say i think that was a pre-existing trend i just think it will really accelerate quite a lot as a result of covid clearly there is an economic downturn associated with this pandemic do you think economic downturns have a direct effect on research and development does it make companies less inclined to spend time and money on on high concept ideas and do they tend to stick to what sells I think it's both. I think Gebrit maybe is an exception. I don't know. But I think uh, it's kind of a Swiss company and they very much are ready for a rainy day. And they, they take what you might call a rainy day as they see that as a, some somewhere to gain a strategic advantage over competitors. So they don't hold back on investment in new products and new innovations whatsoever. I think it's probably seen as a you know an opportunity rather than something that you need to fall back on just things which you know are, are good sellers and not concentrate on the future so much. Well, I think the reverse sometimes is true, that the most innovation comes out of the most difficult period. Necessity is the mother invention, isn't it? Was it Henry Ford who famously said, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they'd have said faster horses? Yeah, yeah, no, you're quite right, you're quite right. And I think there's definitely something in that. There may be things which maybe we haven't seen yet, but could drive further innovation. Do you look at things like the smart home, the internet of things, the connectivity of things? Is that something that falls on your radar at all? Absolutely, yeah. I think that it's almost inevitable, I think, that we'll see the expansion of health checks, for instance. I can imagine some sort of sensors in the toilet, for instance, which feeds information maybe to your smartwatch. I can imagine something like uh, in terms of diabetes, you know, it can easily check your sugar levels in your urine. I think it's ketones as well can be detected. So I can imagine that it's not too far away before we can see those kind of items talking to each other via Bluetooth or whatever. But the thing is, Ian, you're the guy who can imagine it, but then make it happen. Yeah, that's right. We did some work on something like that quite some time ago, actually. But I think the time wasn't right. Maybe the time is right now. Well, look, I don't want to actually picture you how you test that. I don't want to even think about it. (laughs) 
and what kind of guinea pigs you need for that I, I don't want to know but i love all this stuff it's so interesting this conceptual design stuff it's really up my alley but unfortunately time's beaten us but we must conclude though with your greatest creative idea of all and that is your choice for my new feature for season two of the podcast i want to know what is your go-to film when you want something positive and happy what's the film that's going to cheer you up it's a section of the show i'm calling ian silence of the laminates <laughs> Well, I, I wish I'd had a bit more time to think about this, but uh, the, the film which uh, popped into my head was probably not a very cool thing to say, but I really like Singing in the Rain. That always puts a smile on my face. It is an absolute classic, and the gut reaction is usually the best one. No one hates Singing in the Rain. It is guaranteed to cheer every single person up. What's your favourite song in there? Good morning. It is good morning. Good. That, that is the correct answer. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time, in. As I say, it's such an interesting subject, uh, and I can't wait to see what you come up with next. So thanks for your time. Uh, thanks, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. That's it for episode two of season two. A massive thanks to Damien and Ian, of course. Please check the episode description for links to the latest guidelines from Damien and the BIKBBI. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us in your podcast app of choice. See you next time.